0: Are you ready to make positive transformation happen for you? Today, you're going to hear how some of the most successful people in the world have made it happen. Hello, and welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership with Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey. These successful people and Dr. Woolsey will share advice, insights, tips, and tricks designed to help you incite personal action. It's time to bring positive transformational leadership to your life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Matthew
1: Allen Woolsey. Hello and welcome. This is Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey, and you're listening to Transformational Energy Leadership coming to you live from the heartland of America. Now, during the show, I encourage you to go to my website over commercial breaks. That's transformationalenergyleadership.com, where you can learn more about me and my business offerings. And you can also contact me by emailing me at mwoolsey at Leadership. Or go to this platform. That's voiceamerica.com under the Empowerment Channel to read more about me. And I'm on social media on LinkedIn and Facebook. Now, today's show is about creating cultural shifts within a congregation. And joining me today is Peggy Hahn. She's the executive director of Lead, which is a nonprofit focused on resourcing and coaching church leaders who want to make adaptive changes. And adaptive is a big word here. I'm excited about this show because leadership, it doesn't matter the venue, industry, sector of society, leadership is required to make transformation happen. And here's why Peggy's on the show today. Peggy has served three congregations in two states and as a to the bishop in the ELCA Texas, Louisiana, Gulf Coast Synod for more than 33 years. Peggy has received the 2014 Tom Hunstead Award and has served the ELCA Youth Ministry Network as a coach to the board, a worship leader, and an intensive care course teacher. And she's coordinated service projects for 36,000 people at the 2009 and 2012 ELCA Youth Gatherings in New Orleans and was the innovator of Camp Hope Day Camp Ministries and the Disciple Project. And aside from all of that, she found time to write a book called Faithful Metrics, a field guide for leaders who want to do more than talk about a path forward. So that was a big mouthful there, Peggy. I am so glad to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. You know, Peggy, it's, it, You have done so, you've spent so many years working with congregations, youth, and communities. And I have to ask you, how did you know that this was what you were supposed to be doing with your life? Big question, right?
2: I had had no clue. I simply responded to invitations that I was given to try things that I didn't know how to do. And that's just that simple. Took some chances, I guess, over the years. And for whatever reason, people have trusted me. And most of the time, it has turned out pretty
1: well. Yeah. Well, and when we when we take those chances and step in that uncomfortable zone and stretch ourselves, that's when we we learn and keep on growing. And certainly, when I read your book, that message came through a lot. And your life is living proof of that. You know, when we were prepping and talking about doing this show a while back, what really struck me about the work that you are doing is what every other profit or non-profit organization is doing. And so let's talk about the essence of leadership in all of this. Why does LEAD exist?
2: Wow, thanks for asking that question. So we believe that everything rises and falls on the power of the leader. And in the Christian leadership world, we know that that power comes to us through the Holy Spirit. But regardless, we know it is God using people to make changes in their environment, whether it's in their home, in their workplace, or in their congregation. And so we focus on helping that leader get a new mindset and be able to have the courage to take those courageous risks that they need to make. We also try to help them understand how really true leadership is not just leading yourself, but leading others.
1: Mm, and it really begins, yeah, all those things, yourself and others. And I know in your book you called not so much even risk. You talk about ex- trying experiments, and I, I really <laughs> like the way you, you framed that. Yeah, experiment. Give it, a, give it a whirl. So, you know, when we talk about faith, what does it take to revitalize faith communities?
2: So it's hard work. We're talking about changing a culture and a congregation, And a congregation is a relational system like any other organization where people have certain behaviors and practices. And so the transformational work in a system like that starts with a team of people who begin to deepen their trust with one another and then have the opportunity to bring more and more people into that trusted um, environment. We use a lot of the work from Ron Heifetz and the work of the practice of adaptive leadership to help leaders understand uh, that once they go out and listen, our work is helping congregations listen. Leaders listen first to God in the congregation, then into the neighborhood, uh, well, as they discover where God is calling them and moving them. You talked about experiments. The work of creating the experiments uh, is work that begins after that listening so for us, we see congregational transformation, our leaderships um, who are transforming congregations in that um, pivotal moment of moving incrementally through a process outward from where they have already started. I'm hoping that makes sense.
1: It sure does. And Im- embedded in so much of what you just said there, you-, you talk about listening and asking questions and asking deeper questions. Do you, do you mind expanding on that a little bit more?
2: Absolutely. So, as adults, most of us are really good at talking, but we're we're not as trained uh, to be listeners and to ask questions, and frankly, to just um, not not listen by bringing our own thoughts into our heads, but opening ourselves up to really hear what people are saying. And when we do this, this deeper listening, like when we understand the values of the person we're listening to and the worldview of the person we're listening to we can begin to recognize how um, we have blind spots as it comes to engaging with people around us. And in terms of transform- transformational processes or congregational revitalization, we know that we have been living in an echo chamber in these congregations. We've been listening to ourselves for many years, so much so that we begin to hear our own voice and believe ourselves and think that, that our worldview is the worldview. The invitation to listen is an invitation to open up your mindset and open up your worldview so that you can recognize um, the perspectives of others, not from the point of view of what we have to give them, but from the posture of listening so that we have the ability to be student, to sit at their feet and to listen to what they have to teach us so that we can reflect them on who we are. So it's a, um, it's a posture of opening our, ourselves up to hear what the other person brings, uh, through that listening. So we ask questions, for example, um, if we were to be listening into a neighborhood, we ask questions, um, imagining to a high school principal or an elementary school principal, something like, what do you know about the students at the school? What do you know about their families? What do you know about the people living in this neighborhood? And then continue to drill deeper and deeper into the kinds of things that we're hearing as they give information about what they might know about the culture in that community. And then moving beyond what they know about the people living in there, our last question is always, so who else should we be listening to? And over the years, as we've been doing this since 2006, we've learned that Um, If you start with listening to the people deeply like this that you already know, and you ask the question, who else should I listen to, it's just pure gold, because then they will um, invite you and introduce you even to people who know more about the um, dynamics in the local area that you're hoping to learn more about. Mm. So this is a a big shift for a congregational leader who's mostly been listening to a handful of people, and it's scary. It's scary. This is the hard work is we're asking people to do something that's really a behavior that we're not used to doing. It's a, a lot building. of our work is just helping people get comfortable with that process.
1: I, yeah. And I can imagine it's, it can be a challenge. And and I, I like the argument or the the case that you make in your book and you talk about that we often, we can have a dashboard of data. So for example, as it applies to a congregation that, Perhaps the numbers are down or the money is not there. And so we've got these metrics. And then there's a danger of limiting yourself to making up, making sense, making your own story, what that data is. And what you're talking about is it's crucial to really make transformation happen, get past that dashboard and go out and ask stories, if I got that right.
2: Yeah, so you're talking about the book Faithful Metrics that we wrote a year ago it um, out of the discovery that the metrics congregations have are actually keeping them stuck, when we're just measuring nickels and noses or um, butts and bucks, however you want to look at it, um, <laughs> yep. the, those metrics are actually lag metrics. So those are metrics that by the time we measure them, we can no longer change them, right? If you're in the mm-hmm. back of a room counting how many heads are in the space um, at some event or in a worship space, You can't get more people in the room, or if you're counting offering dollars, you can't get more money in. Uh, However, what we try to do with our congregations we work with, and particularly helping leaders understand their role, is to do the work of creating and paying attention to lead metrics. Lead metrics are the metrics that we actually can influence that ultimately will change the lag metric. So, um, just to recap, by focusing on the lag metric is the numbers and the dollars, nickels and noses, it's a defeating kind of metric that makes us feel hopeless and powerless. There's a huge loss of agency for the leader in the midst of that context. But when we shift our mindset to thinking about the lead metric, it's amazing the creativity that we're seeing in congregations as they're imagining all the different ways that they can go to work on energizing and inspiring people. To try and experiment their way forward in things that will actually sh- shape and change what they were trying to do in the first
1: place. Mm. And I have to, I want to come back to this, the lag and lead metrics portion because it's it's so paramount to where the future of organizations and particularly where where Christian where you know faith is going and. I have to address the fact here. You know, when you I was doing some research, just looking at the trends of of individuals and people going to church, and you know, instantly thousands of results came up when I was googling, and and it, without surprise, I don't think we're surprised any of the listeners out there too that starting from two thousand, for example, on average the rate of weekly church attendance in Britain, for example, was dropping down one percent annually, and in two thousand thirteen, there's a number of Pew Research reports that were out there, and they reported in 2013 that 37% of all Americans attended church, but then that dropped as you keep watching the numbers going on and on and on. So with all this decline, why do we care about ushering in a new era of Christian faith when the data just simply shows there's a decline in the numbers of people who go to church?
2: Yeah, I think the numbers are sobering. There's no doubt about that. And to the point where they can defeat people from actually even trying to experiment their way forward. But if you look beyond the numbers and beyond the form of the church that we currently see it, and you pay attention to what's going on in people's lives, you'll discover, and the research even proves it, that there is an emerging spirituality among people in ways that probably hasn't been present in people's lives in the past. I mean, this is a harsh way to put this, but it is possible that the way we have practiced our church life together has actually been a distraction from our spiritual life, right? Mm -hmm. And so the, the freedom that this research gives us, I think, is to stop putting all our eggs into one form of practicing faith, and it blows open the windows and the doors on how we might practice our faith today in some really new and interesting ways. Um, and there's all kinds of evidence that our world is in a big time of reformation and change, which is rep- replicated every 500 years in the past in our world. We're caught up in the midst of that. There's every evidence that God is doing a new thing, and we just have the, the privilege and the opportunity to try to figure that out. That's where the experiments are helpful. Because we just test things, we work on those lead metrics, and we can incrementally wander forward into a Mm. a really interesting world. It's really interesting. And so we don't have to feel like what what we might be losing is one way of being church. God hasn't left the planet. We're not losing um, what it is to be um, God's people in the world. It's just that we have a changing world and we need new ways in which to practice that faith. I know there's a lot of grief around that, Matt. I mean, I know this isn't easy. And I, too, mm-hmm. grieve um, some of these things. I know my grandchildren will never, you know, know and love because they matter to me. On the other hand, I'm so curious about their faith and what might be sparked in other places. We mm-hmm. have yeah. a lot to learn. It's awesome. We sure I think. do. We it's sure
1: energizing. do. Oh, it absolutely is I, I was at my i was getting my teeth cleaned my periodontist <laughs> as i'm sharing i my, love it. it and she she is a, in a church at a local you know a nearby community and she even mentioned you know it, it's sad she's my age you know and she's she said you know i remember going to church and youth group and in church choir and things and she said the youth today it's different and they have different ways that they reach out to the youth and to your point the, you know, God is still here. Things are just changing, and it's how we act and interact. And we're, I like what you said earlier about every 500 years or so, there's a change, and, and we're going through that right now. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are. And this has been research proven. So, what's interesting about this change is the world is changing faster now than it ever has before, and our relational platforms are shifting. And everyone knows this um, with social media. So there's different ways um, that we connect with people, and the centers of our universes are moving around. So this is a great opportunity for um, leaders, really, in any field. I think every institution is struggling. And so it's a great opportunity for anyone who is a leader with any sphere of leadership to get curious about what are the new ways things are emerging. I mean, and this that's, is silly, uh, but I think about Uber Church, right? I mean, ten years ago, no one knew what that was. Uber, <laughs> and uh, right? We are all using <laughs> it. So, <laughs> so many of these really wonderful ways we're repurposing things. I'm just curious what that will mean for the church. I don't know
1: yet. I, I know, and it's really quite exciting when you start to think about it in those terms. Uber Church. What is that? <laughs> so, what we're going to do? Exactly. right? We're, <laughs> we're we're at a commercial break I, I, right now. And when we come back, okay. I want to explore, let's talk more about the role of the leader in all of this and making innovative measures to, to move churches along. So everyone out there, go to my, my website, this transformationalenergyleadership.com, and I'll see you back here on the other side.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com
3: forward slash Voice America. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Fridays at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Something Beautiful is happening on Mondays here each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Join Rachel Corpus, angel communicator and psychic medium, along with her holy team, The Collective, when they'll share messages that guide you, heal you, and remind you that you are divine. Rachel loves introducing people to their own angels, and now she is here each week to do just that and so much more. Catch the show, You Are Divine, every Monday at 12 noon Eastern time and 9 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
2: Do you have audacious faith for your business? We help you to learn more about stepping out on faith to brand your business
3: and yourself in today's crowded competitive marketplace.
2: Is your marketing plan in order? How do you set yourself apart? Audacious Faith for Your Business with host Don Jordan jones will teach you the methods that can make yourself and others aware of who you are audacious faith for your business is broadcast live every friday at 7 p.m eastern time 4 p.m pacific on the voice america empowerment channel tune in and see your hard
3: work pay
2: off success starts here voice it's your world
0: You are tuned in to transformational energy leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com.
1: Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back. Today, I'm joined by Peggy Hahn, and we're talking about the need for transformational leadership in faith communities. And Peggy and I, in the first segment, were talking about her focus and what her organization called Lead does for its clients. And and Peggy, in fact, before we went to break, we talked about Uber as a as an app for churches. So <laughs> we'll see how that plays out. Huh? Um. But what yeah. I do want to talk with <laughs> what I do want to talk with you about is let's get more specific in terms of what you do in your your work through LEAD and how you work with leaders?
2: Um, yeah, absolutely. So uh, we work with leaders in a number of different ways. Um, and I would say the most effective, however, is when we have a hybrid, and that is the opportunity to work with leaders as part of a learning community so that they come with a cohort from their own congregation. Uh, they participate over a three-year transformational process that begins with a seminar, uh, then six months later, comes back together for the next seminar, and we do have a seminar every six months, but in between those seminars, and this, I think, is the most important part to pay attention to, um, is the leaders will work with a, a professional coach. So, the seminar is like probably many seminars people have been to over the years, and that is where we bring people new content, new information, new ways forward, and we do have processes that we work in these seminars uh, so we bring all that content, and we always are updating our seminar so that it's the latest and greatest resources that are coming out of social science at any given point. The challenge is to take what you learn in that seminar and to put it into practice. So this is where the coach is gold. Because just new learning doesn't change anybody. I can ask a handful, like if I've got a 100 people in a room and I say, how many of you have gone to a lot of training workshops? Everybody raises their hand. Then if I say, how many of you have used what you've learned and put it into practice? Nobody's hand goes up. That's mm-hmm. the point of the coach. The coach moves us from what we have learned ourselves to what we can implement incrementally in our own community. So I'd say that's the primary, um and I would say most success way we work with leaders. We also like the idea of a congregational team because, you know, it's really hard to change a system by yourself, but to start with a critical mass of um, key folks, we like to use um, teams of people that are built around the same elements you might put together. If you were trying to launch any movement, there's actually info on that, and so we, we try to look for leaders that fit that those characteristics. And then they move forward after the seminar with the support of a coach meeting monthly doing their work. But that's not the only way we work with leaders. You know, there are a lot of times we have leaders who come to us um, in crisis and we're able to support them with a um, professional coach. It's not therapy. You know, a coach's job is to ask great questions and to get mm-hmm. you to wrestle with those questions. Yep. Uh, we also do consulting. Consulting really is the part where we bring the wisdom, as opposed to the coaching, is where that we know the wisdom is already in you. I mean, that's how we understand the difference. Mm-hmm. And we do strategic planning for um, congregations as well, um, also synods. Uh, we work with bishop staffs and organizations who've done a lot of strategic planning work. I would say, though, embedded in all of our leadership development, whether it's coaching, consulting, or strategic planning, or even any of our resources. It's an outward perspective. It's putting people um, like beyond what they already know uh, to become learners, get curious about the world around us.
1: You, everything you just said, it's gold. I'm I'm going to use the word that you said because you you illustrated (laughs) here for transformation to really happen it's a it's a commitment and it's not just one person but it's it's the time, it, there's this knowledge that's where lead comes in and, and shares some insightful things to the seminars and things but there are also these mechanisms that you have to have support and I'm so thrilled that you talked about coaching because that coach like you said will ask the provocative questions to get you to really visualize and materialize think about what that future state really looks like and to do that it's to ask the hard questions and and like you said, have to have that learner mind. And you said a, a, a term in there. You said, uh, I think it was inward or no, it was outward. And in your book, uh, uh, one of the concepts that you bring up, there's a difference between having inward goals and outward goals. And I found it just really insightful. And would you mind sharing with the listening audience out there what you mean by these two terms?
2: Yes, Absolutely. So I want to back up for a second, though, and say we also talk about technical and adaptive challenges that we're facing so that we're setting our goals um, clearly with an awareness that a technical goal that we might be setting is a goal that focuses on um, carrying out something we probably already know something about. Uh, We have an understanding of who where the um, authority lies in the system. In other words, who has permission to carry out the goal. And we know exactly who the stakeholder is, who that goal is focused on, as opposed to a adaptive goal where we're kind of driving the car and building the road at the same time. So, An adaptive goal is where we're not quite sure what to do or where to go. We're not quite sure who should be in charge. And we're pretty sure the stakeholders are going to be a bigger group of people than we normally work with. Mm-hmm. So there's those two kind of frames that are critical for goal setting. And we want leaders to work within both of those. We shouldn't ignore the technical goals because there are ways in which we can quickly ramp up what we're doing and feel um, some relief with those technical goals. If we just stay there, though, we know that it will quickly um, not work. So we've got to also be ramping up that adaptive work. So that's, if you're thinking about, and I'm a visual person, so put this in a chart in your head, where you have uh, technical and adaptive as your columns on the left. And then now your headings over at the top of the chart would be inward and outward. Imagine that you are setting goals inwardly for the congregation itself or whatever organization you're trying to change or even in your own family. You're setting those inward goals. When I say inward, I mean, for example, um, I'll just use a congregational story. We can be talking about how we're going to be more welcoming and look at our hospitality within our own congregation. So, for example, paying attention to the different um, languages we might be attentive to or different cultural practices of people in our own neighborhood. That is actually inward, because we're focusing on how we do what we do inside the box of the church. Outward, however, are how we set goals to people who aren't there yet. How we partner with our neighbors to care about um, food insecurities or to care about other needs in our neighborhoods, whatever they might be. And we learn what to do in those outward goals, which, by the way, is usually our most adaptive work, but not only adaptive. We learn how to do that by listening. The reason I say our outward goals are not just adaptive is because we can draw on the resources that we already know. for example, if there's a school across the street, it's pretty obvious that that is a technical goal. It's not hard to walk across the street and talk to the principal, right, and to hear what they have to say. That would be the easy part. But it becomes adaptive, um, that moves us into that land of the unknown. Um, that kind of a goal would be by listening to the principal. Now we know that there's a need for some after-school mentoring, and we're going to be paying attention to that that's a lot more adaptive for a congregation because it's something we have not done and it is outward in our neighborhood. I'm hoping that's clear. I wish I could draw this out for you guys.
1: To me, it it makes a lot of sense because I read the book and I liked it so much, (laughs) but yes, you are making a lot of sense. And, and, and yeah, and I just, this is applicable to any organization, a leader Mm -hmm. thinking about the technical and the adaptive angles of it. So, yeah, yeah.
2: Well, and that inward, outward, right? Even in my own yeah. life, I can inwardly decide that I am going to um, do better with my own health. That would be, by the way, a, you know, a lagometric on my own. On my own health, might be my de- my decision inwardly to start watching what I'm eating. My outward goal that people might notice that I'm actually doing might be going to yoga, might be going to work out, things like that. And that's the way I might have an outward goal that's working on myself. So, yeah, it works in, in our own lives as well as in an organization
1: or congregation. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a big, 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 big part of it. Yeah, and you talk about the power of stories. And, and you've talked about going out, let's say, the congregation going out or going over across the street talking to the principal and that sort of thing. The power of story really – comes across in your book. And in fact, when I was first reading, I said, oh, this this is close to appreciative inquiry. And then, of course, as I kept reading, you you addressed that it is, in many ways, appreciative inquiry. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, gathering those positive stories. Share with us an example of, because it's it's good to talk about these things, what's an example of a synod or a congregation or church that had a, 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 seem, a seemingly insurmountable challenge and through the work that you do with them they were able to find ma- magnificent magical ways beyond what they originally thought would would happen
2: so there's so many of these stories they're everywhere um, right now we're working with over 70 congregations in the middle of these stories somewhere and because what i want you to imagine is a story circle um, the stories aren't ever done it's an ongoing unfolding kind of thing. So um, I want to talk, though, about Joy Reigns Lutheran Church, and they are in, the, um, in Maryland, in Edgewater, Maryland. And this is a place, a congregation, that I'm going to guess, and maybe it'll tell me I'm wrong, but I think they have about 150 people, 120 maybe, um, who are active in their worship life. And this congregation began working with us, and in the intake interview mentioned that there was a bunch of resale shops right on the property of the campus. These are like trailers where they sell old clothing. No one really wanted to deal with those. And so they said, "We're just ignoring those." And I thought, "Wow, okay. So they went and followed our process, ended up out with in their own neighborhoods, only to discover they're actually known in the community for those resale stores, resale shop. So they had to do the, they went out and learned. Discovered, They had to come back and reflect, okay, we, we now know that we are um, known in the neighborhood for the resale shops that we ourselves detest, and we have to reflect on what does that mean about us, what does that mean about our community, and what does it mean about the resale shops? They also, when they were listening, learned about a ginormous opioid addiction issue in Edgewater. It, like, scores really high on the um, charts in the United States for places where opioid addiction is um, just off the charts bad. And so they had that big uh aha in the learning. And as they were reflecting on this, they recognized that their resale stores were, in fact, their front door into becoming a place of healing and hope for the opioid addiction problem in their community. And now they're in the process of acting on that. But it's not a one-thing act, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so that's what I want you to hear. Um, learning takes many forms. The reflecting is ongoing. It's never done. And and if their pastor were in this conversation, she would be quick to tell you all that they continue to reflect on. And if... Um, some of the leaders in that congregation were here, they would tell you the many ways they're acting on things and sometimes how uncomfortable they really are with this. But I will tell you this. When they named this as truth in the congregation, they also recognized how many funerals this congregation has done with people who have died of opioid addiction. So in truth, it was already happening in them Mm -hmm. and around them and through them, and now they became aware through this listening process um, of how they might actually be a church that adds um, to the healing and hope of the people around them. It's just powerful what they're doing. That you can't imagine it.
1: Wow. So I, wish yeah, I wish you
2: were listening to them. They're amazing.
1: Oh, uh, it sounds it's, it's not just them though.
2: I want to say that we've got so many of these stories. Yeah. Oh, life giving.
1: Oh, it's and it's. I mean, how powerful and and just so nurturing for everyone involved in that to. And it, and it goes back to what you're saying. When you go out and you ask and you hear the stories and really listen, and and that leads that leads to the lead metrics, and it's really quite wonderful. You know, before we come to our commercial break, our, our our final one, and then we'll we'll wrap up the show after the break. I wanted to talk with you a bit because, and you address this in your book as well, that as we are changing and as leaders are in these in this time now, with the change is rapid, and we've got. You know, different walks of life and everything. You you make a point that there's a way of thinking about it in terms of intersection versus integration. And would you mind sharing your thoughts on that as leaders are are looking towards the future?
2: Oh, absolutely. So the concept of integration in this country has long been the concept of um, kind of moving people of a minority culture and people of a majority culture into. Um, a forced relationship with one another in such a way that all, uh, both both are lost, both are um, harmed, and um, there's a lot of pushback in both communities. And this, you know, largely has been um, something we have seen as a way to become more diverse and more whole as a people, and yet it is a way that has been extremely harmful Um, However, the the other approach, this um, paying attention to intersection, to recognizing actually the the process of intersectionality of all the different ways that each of us bear within us um, multiple points of connection, really comes out of the African-American tradition. And uh, I think it's Nikki Bay Scott who is the one who is, um, that might not be correct, so I don't want to quote her. Unjustly, but uh, it does go out of the African-American tradition, this concept of intersectionality of all of us c- carrying different parts. So I might be um, a woman. I might be a person who's a rape victim. I might be a person who's been divorced. I might be married. I might be a grandmother. I might be a daughter. It, and you might see only one angle of me in our relationship. Mm-hmm. So this is a concept about helping people expand their mind view around relational leadership. So this calls us as leaders that when we meet someone to recognize, however they're presenting is only a piece of who they are. And so it causes us to listen more deeply, to recognize that the people that we're leading, even in our own congregations, I have to tell you, we don't know the people in our own churches. We only have this, this church nice thing going on, and there's a lot missed in that. So to pay attention to the intersections helps us pay attention more deeply to the humanity that is in each one of us. It's a big conversation,
1: honestly. Huge conversation. I'm not on it,
2: but I really encourage you guys to learn more about it.
1: Yes, and it's a call for all leaders and all all human beings, really, to be – what I see of Peggy right now, that's only one dimension of this very complex person, and it's – A powerful message for all of us to keep listening to. You know, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you to really, let's boil this down to what are our takeaways? What can we do as we leave and walk away from the show today and start implementing in our lives? So for everyone out there, stay tuned. We'll be back here in two minutes.
0: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
1: Have you always known that something different was possible for your life and in the world? What if you could create beyond your current reality? If your relationships, finances, business, health, and life could be anything, what would they be? Join Heather Nichols for an invitation to discover what is true for you in every area of your
2: life and for conversations loaded with pragmatic tools for how to create it
3: listen live every monday at noon pacific and 9 p.m central european time for creating beyond reality on the voice america empowerment channel at 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment and get ready to soar. Are you where you want to be right now? We live our lives sometimes looking at others and thinking the grass is always greener on their side, not realizing that we have the power within us to pursue our dreams. It begins with a head start in the right direction. And that head start is with host Carla D. Walker and from the inside out. Believe in your abilities and take action. Listen live every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
1: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
0: You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership, To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show.
1: And welcome back to the show. We have been talking today about leaders transforming their faith communities. And my guest Peggy Hahn and I, well, she's really highlighted the challenges and rewards happening in the work that she does with these faith leaders during a time of really rapid change here, not only here, around the world, and when it comes to the church's place in the community. So, Peggy, I have to I ask every one of my guests that comes on the show, I, I ask them So thinking about a leader and the leader's role in the congregation and in the synod and and the, the communities that you're working with and the energy that they bring to the equation, what's your view on a leader's energy?
2: You know, so it's interesting how each person brings an energy with them into a space. And probably most of the time we don't realize that we're doing that. But when we show up, we are bringing with us. Um, more of our whole self than we recognize, I always tell leaders um, to take care of their energy, to um, pay attention to their own well-being because however healthy or unhealthy they are is exactly what's going to flow out of them and into the people around them. So people who are um, really wrestling with life, um, maybe in their own marriage or in their own, um, let's say their financial life or whatever it might be, um, while it doesn't seem related to how they might preach or teach or lead in the church, actually impacts exactly that and the way in which they show up. However, people who are taking time to go for a run in the morning or to um, take their day off or to practice their own prayer life, uh, deepen their own study, and tend um, their own personal needs and their families, those people come into a room with a sense of wholeness, And honestly, they they are people who represent God in a way that others can attach to, can feel um, their presence. It's huge. I have seen, um, I mean, this is terrible to say this, but, you know, the power we talk about, the power of one person to build up and to make a difference in the world, and there's trillions of stories about that. We miss those stories about the power of someone to tear down. And unfortunately, some of the work I do is with leaders who are on the cleanup end. With somebody like that, so mm-hmm. I say, tend your own leadership so that you can have the energy you need to have to show up with your full self. You know, as you're doing the work you're
1: your called to do. Really right. important. Yes, and 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 that's why the power of coaching when you're talking about starting to lead this transformation having that coach to also address those aspects of who we are because clearly when we've got we have all these different dimensions of our life and if there's a piece that's not working that can impact uh, impact other areas and so there's it's very much you want to make sure that you're addressing the whole self I really appreciate what you're saying there you know Peggy we've over the course of the hour we've talked a lot about leaders and is a number of things about, you know, having technical and adaptive goals. We've talked about the work that you do and how it is a big commit, a commitment where support and time and the investment is required for, um, you know, in so many dimensions. You've talked about connecting with, with communities and how do we do that? Well, we go out and ask questions. And we really listen and don't just ask surface level questions, but dig deeper and, and really listen. And you didn't mention this, I don't think, but I know that you believe this, not to lead with a judging mentality, but really lead with a learning mentality. And so as you think about just everything we've talked about today, what what do you think are the, the three or four key takeaways that all of us on the call, on the show, should take away and think about implementing in our lives?
2: Well, I thanks for reminding me of that. Um, One of the social science researches that we lean into heavily in our work comes from the work of Marilee Adams in the book, Change Your Questions, Change Your Life. And in that book, she talks about the difference between having a judger mindset and a learner mindset. This is really clear, right? This isn't complex material, and it is incredibly transformative, And so I do encourage everyone we work with, we know we all have this judger. I mean, anybody can move into that, and what she means by that is not always about judging others, although that is included, but it's often about how we judge ourselves. I find leaders are harder on themselves than they are the people around them, and while they might be complaining about others um, and you hear negativity, actually the noise in their head is worse about themselves. Um, So to move into getting curious with this learner mentality, this is where the listening plays in, is gold for leaders. It is a really beautiful way for leaders to to switch, uh, just to borrow Adam's language, to to switch the noise in your head, switch the questions you're asking, and get curious so that you can become a learner. I, I think if there's anything that people can take away, even from this conversation, but from the work with LEAD, is um, the need for us to be um, tending our own way of being, our own mindset, our own um, internal voice, to become a learner, to push into and get curious about the things that we feel a resistance to in ourselves. All of that, if we can practice some of that stuff internally, it's going to help us do that externally as we lead others. You know, it's true. You have to lead yourself as you lead other people. You can't do one without the other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Matt, the whole coaching thing is important. I I find the consultant work, which, by the way, I'm a consultant, so I can say this, um, and I love being a consultant, I I find that that information is great and inspiring and helpful, but that coach's questions, when I'm working with my coach, those questions are like a stone in my shoe everywhere I go. They're constantly mm-hmm. with me. Yes. You know, and, and they're causing me to reflect and grow uh, way more than information ever does. So, yeah, I can't say enough about the coaching thing.
1: Oh, fantastic. So be curious. Ask those questions. Move into that learner mindset. Mm-hmm. And you have that coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to push you. Well, you know, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. And, you know, as I'm thinking about everything that you've talked about I, I'm also curious Peggy so you have you have a coach what do you do to continually develop yourself and, and keep your the work that you do fresh and up to date
2: uh-huh. well thanks for asking that I do have a coach um,
1: <laughs>
2: but I'm i cra- I'm a crazy reader And I do want to say, um, in interviewing leaders, before I started Lead as an organization, I interviewed 60 pastors in three weeks. And let me tell you, I could see the difference between those who are growing and those who were not in a nanosecond. And Mm -hmm. I learned that this is the number one question I can ask. If there's like a single question I can ask a leader to know where they're at and take a temperature is this question, what are you reading? That question and you know what? I don't care the answer to that question. I care that they are reading something or listening to podcasts or looking at TED Talks or, you know, YouTube videos, whatever it is. But we have to be doing something, uh, to grow ourselves because in this time of great change, we cannot not be paying attention, right? Absolutely. So yeah, mostly for me, it's, it's a lot of reading. I do the audiobook thing. I do the digital book thing. I have hard copy books all around me. Maybe it's a sin because I buy so many books.
1: I don't know. <laughs>
2: this is my, um, my self indulgence.
1: Oh, well, that's so. wonderful. Yes, I, I'm I very know, much that's the same crazy. way. And, and doing this show and the work that I do, too, it's, it's, it's really quite wonderful. I just recently got, got a personally signed book, Carol Dweck, her latest mm, book on mindset. Yeah,
2: I love her work.
1: Yes, yes. I do, too. That's,
2: could, that's awesome. you got a signed copy. I'm jealous.
1: I know, That's I really do. Cool. <laughs> Lucky me, right? Okay, well, thanks, Peggy. Thank you so much. Oh, and by the way, what is the best way for the listeners to get a hold of you if they want to, you know, to make contact with you after the show?
2: Yeah, I sure hope you guys do call us if there's, or reach out to us if there's any way we can support the work you're doing. Um, you can reach us at waytolead.org. That's W-A-Y-T-O-L-E-A-D.org. And you'll find all our contact information there, or you can always email at LEAD at waytolead.org. And uh, by doing that, we'll be able to connect you to the resources that are most helpful, or just dig around on on the website. It's a resource center.
1: Fantastic. Thank you very much, Peggy. And for everyone out there, we're now wrapping up. And I want to say if you've got a topic or someone that you think would be great to have on the show, you can contact me. Go to my website. That's transformationalenergyleadership.com. And until next week, continue to lead transformation through positive energy. Talk with you again next week. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Transformational Energy Leadership. Please join Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey again for another edition next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.